Always, always wonderful. Wonderful to see and to experience. Uh, and that is why we had our kids in the sanctuary up until this point in the service so they could witness this and see what it's like, maybe look forward to something as they progress in their growth with Jesus. So kids, you can now go see Pastor Mr. Rob Susan in the blue shirt. Yes. All right, get look at look at the look at those legs going. Last week, someone uh, said to me, "You see all the kids; they're running, they're running for kids' church." But I'm in here; I'm not out there. And they told me those legs don't stop moving. The excitement and the energy goes all the way down the hall, all the way into the stairwell, up the stairs, both flights of stairs, all the way into the room. That's how forward they're looking to children's church. So that's a great thing. We should take some of that, you know. We should come into church that way. And I... I believe some of you did that this morning. You got in the car and you put your foot on the floor. It wasn't going anywhere, but still you're spinning and going. And I saw a few people sliding around uh, getting here this morning. But I'm glad you're all here uh, in the house of the Lord this morning. This morning, I am revisiting an earlier day this year. And that is the first Wednesday of... 2023. And on that evening, we had a state of the church meeting. I made some comments that evening, and I was encouraged by those in attendance that night to bring them to a Sunday morning. So I've received that encouragement, and I want, I'm going to do that this morning. But this is not a business meeting. Don't get all nervous, like, oh, this is just going to be some kind of business meeting. No. No, we're going to, we'll have the word of God here. And uh, I'm looking to God's word and his power and the Holy Spirit this morning. I will just give you a very, very brief overview of some of the things that we talked about. Uh, We had a great presentation from our treasurer, Todd Carley. The church is doing well financially with uh, this report that, Giving has trended down. So we've adjusted our budget for 2023 based on that. And uh, that's roughly between a 10 and 15% decrease downward that we're projecting. That's, uh, so that was all talked about. And uh, the things that I talked about afterwards and after Brother Todd talked about the facility here and all the things that have gone on, that... We are in this environment now that I'll call post-COVID, although some of you may say, is COVID still here? Whatever. It's, it, we, we, have, we had that crazy time, and I'm very glad some things are way better, and that's the truth. There are some things that are feeling just like they did three years ago, and other things that are different, and we can understand that, and we can uh, realize that. There are some things that are very different, but as a, for the church, as far as the church is concerned, we have our ministries up and running. And I say thank you to our pastoral staff that were amazing, and they still are amazing. And I, I love them. They do a wonderful work. And 
all of our trustees and our church council who are so dedicated and support, and every one of you who are part of a ministry, and there's so many of you who are out here who are part of a ministry, the church doesn't run. The church isn't the church without you involved in doing what you do in all the ministries, whether they're inside the building, outside in the parking lot, or beyond to some of the missions we support. Thank you, thank you. I am grateful to all of you. Uh, We are seeing people back like our ensemble this morning so they were amazing I love it I love seeing those voices or and hearing those voices seeing the faces I should say uh, so so those things are, are are happening ministries are up and running and I'm not going to speak to all of them just to say they're excellent and they serve a lot of people and we have ministries and helps and support groups that do great things and so many are here serving I do want to just briefly say our biggest uh, ministry in terms of people, um, employees, uh, uh, is Parkway Christian School. So outside the, uh, I'll say the, the, the church and all the uh, administration and such, Parkway is our biggest uh, ministry and it has had an increase in students, a marked increase. The administration's doing an amazing job and they've been faced with challenges, the influx of many students. So multiple lunch times, schedule changes, struggles with space. We need more space. We need way more space, but our building is a finite size. There's a larger staff. Uh, expenses have increased because of the things that we do for COVID and cleanliness, etc. plus more students. So there's a lot happening there in the school. The administration's handled it so well. We're projecting more students for next year. And let me tell you, that's a good problem to have. We're cramped. We're smashed for space. But that's a great problem to have. So ministries are up and running. School's doing well. Uh, uh, Missions, on another topic, missions. Missions giving is really fantastic. You're so generous to the missions we support. I want to give you a very, very brief, just very quick update from our friend in Poland, uh, Brother Zbigniew Hoynatsky, who's at the Christian Church Ostrada. So many of you poured out your hearts to him last year. And his latest note to me was many of the people he had living at his church and his camp, they've gone back to Ukraine. And yet the war is still raging. And some of the things that they're feeling there are no power. You know the Russians are bombing the grid. So what... Pastor Hoynowski's been doing is working to get generators, specifically to churches. And uh, he sent a great note about one that uh, was delivered by a family. And they made a warming center at a church uh, in Ukraine. It's cold there. So I want you to know good work is still going on there. And if you still have a heart to uh, aim towards uh, that ministry and give to it, you certainly can and will definitely direct it back to that Christian church, Estrada. They're doing great things. And another thing he mentioned was they're supporting an orphanage too. You can imagine that people have lost uh, fathers and mothers, children, and so they're, they're supporting an orphan, orphanage in uh, Ukraine. So the church is continuing. We're do- great things are happening. You saw this morning, baptism, The ordinances and the sacraments of the church continue. Baptism, dedication of children, 
the Lord's Supper, marriage ceremonies, anointing with oil at these altars, confirmation. Last week, it was fantastic. Great. We're, that those are in full swing, all the ordinances and sacraments of the church. Thursday service, the other services. Thursday, we have prayer on Tuesdays. Wednesdays, classes and studies. You heard some announcements today. And of course, right here on Sunday morning, this service is up and it's running and it, and it has been since uh, it was May 31st, I think, 2020. We came to having people back. So uh, that's happening. We have a vision for the church. I've talked about it. I'm not going to spend a bunch of time on it this morning. But the vision, if you've heard it, and if you haven't, just go read Titus chapter 1 and 2. That's the vision of the church. And that is, the church is multicultural, it's multi-generational, that's the church of Jesus. Everybody, it doesn't matter what you look like, where you come from, how big or small you are. Multicultural, multi-generational, that's the first two chapters of the book of Titus, and that the older, more mature Christians would be mentoring and teaching the younger. There it is. That's our vision, that we would be a church for everyone where we are just dispensing the word of God and uh, those who are mature in the faith are helping those who are growing in the faith. That's my nutshell of our, our meeting and I want to talk to you about some of the comments that I made. I want to focus my comments this morning on the state of the church right here today, Sunday mornings. And in particular, I want to talk about attendance and what I could say is the dearth in attendance. You know, on one hand, we have a school that's packed. It is, it's packed to the rafters. And on the other hand, here on Sunday mornings, just look around. We've got about 90% available capacity. We've got a lot of space. God has blessed us with a lot of space. But most of it is vacant. And it's kind of the elephant in the room. It's kind of the elephant in the room. How about we talk about it? Let's talk about it. Should we do anything to fill all these empty seats? And if we, if we say, let's do something, what should it be? How should we proceed? You know, there are ways. There are ways for a church to add to its members. I, I think we might have heard something in a word this morning, a word of encouragement about that. There are ways that we could add. Many, many have taken the gospel of Jesus Christ and they've tailored it one way or the other and the result can be growth. Now we could grow like some churches. We certainly could. We could grow like churches that have adopted what I call a form of social gospel. And here's how I define social gospel. You might define it differently. This is my working definition so you know what I'm talking about when I say that. Social gospel is tailoring the true gospel. It's tailoring the true gospel towards progressivism on the left or towards conservatism on the right. And some here, someone here, it was someone here in our congregation gave me a fabulous article, a great article. And it was an article about three churches one, actually two of them, were local churches in the southeastern Michigan area. And this was from a national news magazine. It was a lengthy article. 
Uh, but one church in particular, right here from southeastern Michigan, uh, this church for 10 years, for 10 years, average attendance, 100. Then that, that, that average attendance went to March 2020. And we all know, do you know what happened in March 2020? Anybody know what happened in March 2020? This crazy thing called a pandemic, COVID, it happened. And the church that had the average 100 attendance, it made a conscious decision. We're going to stay open and we're going to preach what I'll call a social gospel. And it was a social gospel set on healing all of the ills in politics and government. Now, during 2020, the pastor of that church, he began to focus his sermons on all the, the perceived problems, the problems that he would say were in politics and government. And the author of this article is a Christian, grew up in southeastern Michigan, grew up very near to that uh, church, had spent time there, interviewed the pastor, was really, really trying to give a fair shake, an accurate depiction of what was happening at this church. And he wrote about how a typical sermon opened up on a Sunday morning with what members called headline news. But the pastor called it his diatribe. And what was the diatribe all about? Oh, the left is ruining America. There's mask mandates. There's mask mandates. All the problems with that, et cetera, et cetera. And the author wrote this. But the pastor, this is after 15, 20 minutes of a sermon, the pastor does not mention the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, or life everlasting. And I read it, and I, I just, I asked myself, where is Jesus in all of that? Where is Jesus in sermons like that? Well, Jesus does come up. Jesus did come up. But Jesus came up in this political advocacy role. And how did that church fare? In a year, in a year, average attendance grew from 100 to 1,500. They blew out their church. Just this month, that very church moved into a new building that they had bought and they renovated 45 acres of property, sanctuary to hold 1,500. And yet I still wonder, where's Jesus? Where is he in all of that? Another form of social gospel. It began, I'll say it has its roots, in a book that was written that coined a phrase. And the phrase, you likely know it, you've heard it, I know you have. Everyone in here will say, yes, I've heard this. Here's the phrase. What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? Now, you, you, you might have a pencil or a pen, maybe got a notepad or something that says, what would Jesus do on the top of it? Uh, maybe maybe got one of these little wrist bracelets right here. You remember those? WWJD, right? Uh, it, it was a thing. WWJD was a thing not that long ago. But it really was way longer than many of us know. What would Jesus do? This phrase, it was coined, it was originated by a pastor named Charles Sheldon in 1896. And this morning I want to share with you some of his story. Charles Sheldon was a preacher in Topeka, Kansas, and he wrote a book called In His Steps. 
what would Jesus do? Now, it, it was a story about a pastor and a church. What better story to write if you're a pastor but a story about a pastor and a church? And Charles Sheldon, he wrote, I believe, 12 chapters, and he shared it with his church uh, through a series of Sunday evening messages. Each Sunday evening, he shared another chapter. And then his book was put into a paper in serial form, and that's how they used to do it. They'd put a chapter each week in a newspaper, and then somebody said, that needs to be a book. And so this book uh, came out in his steps. What would Jesus do? And it's the story of a pastor in a church where the pastor had these wonderful sermons. They were doctrinally correct. They were polished. He was an eloquent speaker. The music in the church was the best in the state. The choir was like none other. The quartet was amazing and sought after. And the author put it this way about the the church in the story. The church believed in having the best music money could buy. That was 1896. I read that and I thought, I could be reading that today. I know a lot of churches that, that want to just pay for the best musicians. Well, in the story, one Sunday, the pastor preaches a message. And he preaches from 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21. Let me share the verse with you. To this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. The pastor brought a magnificent message about following in the footsteps of Jesus. It was a three-point message. He made these three points. Jesus suffered in his life and death. Number two, Jesus left you an example to imitate you should be imitators of Jesus. And number three, it's necessary to follow in the steps of Jesus. Three amazing points. As the sermon concluded, a man in the back, sitting in the shadow of the, the gallery, he stood up and he began to walk up the center aisle. He was shabbily dressed, dirty, evidently sick. He was coughing out loud and he began to speak. He said, I don't have a job because automation in the printing industry has pushed me out. For months, I've been looking for work. He was homeless. He'd been going from town to town, seeking work, and he'd become ill. As he spoke, the congregation sat in silence because he was not speaking offensively. He wasn't yelling. He didn't seem angry. He was soft-spoken, sort of respectful. And he had captured the attention of that congregation. They sat there in stunned silence. And he offered up, that was an amazing sermon, all about following in the footsteps of Jesus. It was well done. But point number two, all that about imitating Jesus, sounded great. But what did it mean in practice? He turned and he looked towards the pulpit and the preacher, and he asked, what does it really mean to imitate Jesus? He said, the last three days I've been walking through this town, looking for work, asking people for help. Not a single person gave me the time of day. They wouldn't even talk to me, except for you, Pastor. I did bump into you two days ago. Maybe you remember. You were sympathetic. You told me you didn't have any work. You were sorry for my situation. And you had to go. 
He wondered out loud if turning away a hurting homeless person while coming together to sing wonderful spiritual songs, to hear these fine sermons, to, to all while living comfortably, was that really imitating Jesus? Is that what imitating Jesus looked like? Was that following in the footsteps of Jesus? And then he just asked out loud, what would Jesus do? And having said those words, he fell over and he collapsed face down right there in the center aisle of the church. And the, the pastor, uh, th- there was a, an interesting line in the, the story, the pastor dismissed the service. I thought, what a guy's staying in control. He dismissed the service, but then he ran down the stairs and he knelt at the side of this man who had collapsed. He said, I'm taking him to my house. He was a stranger in town. No one knew him. He took him, he took him home and he, he stood by him day and night for a week. And after almost a full week, it was 1 a.m. the following Sunday. This man hadn't said a clear word. He had been in fever and delirium the whole week. But there at 1 a.m., Sunday morning, nearly a full week passed, he seemed to rally for a moment. The pastor there by his side, keeping vigil, saw as this man looked up, and the man said, you've been good to me. Somehow I feel it was what Jesus would do. And then he turned his head and he died. Now that Sunday morning, a few hours later, the preacher didn't have a polished sermon. He wasn't his usual self-confidence, self. He walked in without notes. He was hesitant. He began to, to speak and give some kind of a sermon. But then he just started to explain the week before that sermon about following in the footsteps of Jesus and all that happened with the stranger, it had had this profound effect on his life, especially seeing the man die that very morning. As he brought his remarks to a close, he laid out an invitation to his, to his congregation. He, in, he invited them and he challenged them to something. He said, for the next year, I invite you all, in your daily activities, be they big or small, no matter what, no matter what you do, I'd want you to first ask, what would Jesus do? And then, after asking that question, act by doing exactly what you believe Jesus would do. Now, not everyone responded to this challenge, And the remaining chapters of the book go on to tell the various stories of people who took on the challenge and what occurred in their lives. What would Jesus do in business? What would he do with a lot of money? What would he do in a certain relationship where maybe one person was a believer and the other wasn't? How would he approach this situation or that situation in the modern world? The story of how lives and businesses changed was told 
the story of how they changed by applying what would Jesus do? How these lives and businesses felt pain. How they suffered loss. How some marriages were stressed. How people dealt with city politics, the courts, and the police. How revenue and business began to dwindle in some cases because of some who decided, I'm going to do what Jesus would do. Others knowingly rejected it. I'm not going to do it. Because they knew hardship would come. They knew pain would come. And yet, even in their rejecting what Jesus would do, they prospered. The author, Charles Sheldon, he tried to present the full spectrum of embracing or rejecting this question. What would Jesus do? Sheldon himself, he cautioned, the question could be considered too cautiously, too lightly, and and thus it's going to have little or no effect. On the other hand, it could be taken to an extreme and lead to overzealous fanaticism. There's a balance to this, to applying and following Jesus in daily life. And Sheldon, the author, advised appealing to the word of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. And that's great pastoral advice. Now, over 100 years later, WWJD became kind of a fad with bracelets and pens and pencils and such. Now, for some people, it definitely was a profound thing if they took it to heart and they began to really try to apply this in their lives. Now, for others, it's just a platitude. It's a bumper sticker. It's a, you know, a thing on a bracelet. It wasn't much else. And some churches, some denominations, they have tailored the idea, this idea of what would Jesus do to become a version of social gospel? What would Jesus do? Well, Jesus was all about love. Let's focus on the love of Jesus. And there's a social gospel that presents Jesus as all loving. All are welcomed in. All are invited to baptism. All are invited to enter the church. Now, it's a type of social gospel that preaches Jesus would refuse no one. That's what Jesus would do. Jesus receives all. Anyone left out suffering, they're suffering an injustice if we don't let them in. And Jesus would never tolerate injustice. However, preaching and teaching things like repentance and change and putting away sin, which Jesus absolutely did. Jesus preached repentance. Jesus preached, go and sin no more. But in this all-focused, Jesus would only love what occurs. Not that kind of preaching. It's put aside because it's offensive. It's perceived as unloving and uncaring. And in that setting of of progressive social gospel, said to be founded on the love of Jesus, do you know churches flourish? They fill up. Numbers increase. What would Jesus do Some claim Jesus wouldn't stand for certain laws and politicians. He would be all about moral law and a moral foundation for government, right? Jesus wouldn't be for that progressive gospel. No, no. 
what would Jesus do? Well, Jesus would demand a church to focus on bettering the ills of civil society. Jesus would demand that we preach reform in the laws and, and preach reform in the problems of government. Much like the local church I mentioned earlier, a church that's experienced dramatic growth. But are the problems in our country political problems? Or are they spiritual problems? How much did Jesus focus on righting the wrongs of Rome? Read the New Testament and ask yourself that question. How much did Jesus focus on righting the wrongs in the government? How much did he preach? Change the law. Get rid of, the, get rid of that Roman Senate. They're all corrupt. How much did Jesus preach that? Or did Jesus preach about hearts being changed? Did Jesus focus on, verse, on reversing the wrongs of a heart? Did Jesus focus on being righted through repentance and being born again? You know, I, I say all this to offer to you. There are ways for growth. We can go with a social gospel on the left. We could go with a social gospel on the right. But would those ways be what Jesus would do? Well, perhaps we should consider other churches. Maybe we should look at some other churches. I know there are many examples of churches and pastors that we could say they're doing a good job. I could consult them. You could consult them. Many of you do. Just about every church streams its services now. They're out there. Everybody has access to them. And let me tell you, I, I, there are good pastors who preach the truth and they give something for all that we can learn and, and apply to our daily Christian life. And I get recommendations all the time. I hear, I get emails, I get handwritten notes. Check out this preacher. Check out that pastor. You should watch this. You should see that. You should can be overwhelming at times. Now, don't get me wrong on any of this. As I said, there are good pastors who teach and preach great things. And I'll say this. There are even some positives that we might glean from these so-called social gospels. Social gospel of progressivism that focuses on the love of Jesus? Of course, of course, we are to love others. Of course, we're to consider the least of these, our brothers and sisters. We should reject injustices, yes. And yes, we should be charitable and we should be good Samaritans. And the social gospel on the right, that has things we can glean from too. It's a gospel that seeks to right the wrongs in politics and government. And, and yes, we should be good citizens. Yes, we should. We ought to be knowledgeable. We should be involved. We can be involved in civic life. Uh, we should be informed. We should vote, of course. But these social gospels, they often go too far, too far. They elevate the wants and the desires of the human heart above God's desires. That's what they do. They elevate the desires of the culture over 
God's desires for humanity and mankind. They make man's desires above God's desires. They go to a place, they go to a place where we might sincerely ask, where is Jesus in all of this? What would Jesus do? What would Jesus do? I'm convinced of this. I am convinced of this. The ills in the world that bear out and all the the evil that is pervasive in the culture and in the world, those ills are fundamentally spiritual problems. They're fundamentally heart problems. I am convinced that what Jesus would do is to seek the cure of the spiritual problem, the spiritual issue. And for that, he gave us his word. He gave us the word of God. And the word of God is foundational and fundamental to addressing the ills of the world. And I say, read it, read it, get into it, and ask yourself some of these questions. And the answer isn't, let's define love as accepting every kind of sin. The answer isn't, well, we ought to have some new legislation. And H.R. Bill 2645 is the way to go. That is not the word of God. History attests to the fact that when the church strays from its foundation and begins to attempt to solve the ills of the world by the standards of the culture, by the standards of man, by the way of the world, you know what's gonna happen? The church will suffer. That's what happens. And you can just look at history and you see it over and over and over again. Think about the Crusades. The 30 years war in Europe. Oliver Cromwell's quasi-theocracy in England where, where... There was these warring factions that sought to establish God's kingdom in England. You might hear things like that, and it doesn't say England anymore. It's the United States. How did it work out after the 30 years of Oliver Cromwell? Gone. And there's been other bloodshed, other bloodshed uh, brought on by the Reformation. You know, the Reformation was 500 years ago. And you know what? The political and social structures have all changed. The borders of nations have changed, and they continue to change. But what has remained since the time of the Reformation? What has remained in five centuries since the spark of that thing that we call the Reformation? The Word of God and all that the Reformation was about Scripture and Christ alone, that still stands. That still stands in an empty church that preaches the word of God. But I don't know about it standing in a church full of people that are hearing secular messages. I am convinced that I will find my best examples of pastors in Scripture. Jesus, Peter, Paul, John, Moses, Growth isn't going to come from some social gospel, but the preaching and the teaching of following God's word. Let's look to the words. Let us look to the words of Pastor Peter. Words inspired 
the question, what would Jesus do? From, from Peter's first letter, 1 Peter 1, verses 1 to 2, says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Peter was leading a people scattered. He wrote to God's elect, God scattered across the Roman Empire. That empire was ruled by a ruthless emperor called Nero who killed people at will. Did Peter call God's people to take up arms? Did Peter call God's people to rage against the injustice in, the, in society and in government? I want to read you some of Peter's advice to these people that were scattered in, a, in an evil empire. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 9 to 14. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires, which wage, which wage war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Submit yourself for the Lord's sake to every human authority, whether the emperor, think Nero, crucifying people at will, whether the emperor as the supreme authority or to governors, who are sent by him to punish those who do not do wrong and to commend those who do right. Dear friends, dear friends, we are a chosen people. We are a priesthood. We are not a political constituency. I don't mean to rock your world. We're not a political constituency. We are not a social union. We are a priesthood, a holy nation, not a nation of this world. We are God's special possession. The ills of the culture are spiritual. The cure is in God's word. The cure is in God's word. The cure is in scripture. Growth in numbers can come only by preaching and teaching God's word. Yes, it can come by preaching shades of the truth. And let me tell you, it does come. And it will continue to come by preaching shades of the truth. Growth can come by giving people what their itching ears want to hear. But I want to say this. That is man's growth. That's man's growth. It'll never be lasting. Oliver Cromwell had 30 years. Didn't last. Did not last. Our mission, our mission is sharing the gospel, the true gospel, and making believers and disciples who follow Jesus Christ. Followers who know the word, live the word, spread the word. That's what our mission is. And the only way 
the only way that I desire to see any kind of growth. Like the pastor in the story written by Charles Sheldon this morning, I want to put a challenge before you about how that should happen. Because the only way I want to see it is the truth of God's word. So I put a challenge before you and an invitation this morning. Number one, make the preaching and the teaching of your church a primary source. Be fed with consistency. I've said we have great ministries, and we do. They are focused on Christ. They are founded in the word of God. And we have these ministries from children all the way through adults centered on Christ and his word. Make that primary, not all the other noise out there. Number two, if you got a favorite pastor, you might not be looking at him. I get it. I know, got my favorite pastor, got to listen to him before I come to church. Pastor online, podcaster, whatever, that's fine. It's okay. But make it a practice. Make it a point. When you're hearing all those other voices, to seek authoritative pastors. And that's the pastors in Scripture. Seek out Pastor Jesus. He's the head pastor, the good shepherd. Check with Moses. Maybe Isaiah, Daniel, Peter, Paul, James, John. They're all shepherds, and they're in God's word. And if you hear something that doesn't line up with what Pastor Peter is preaching, y'all ought to raise up a red flag really quick and maybe shut that thing off. You can hear a great word. You can hear a great word, moves you in your heart, but does it line up with God's word? Please, please appeal to the word of God and the guidance of the Holy Spirit. Number three, pray. Please pray. Please pray. We, we want hearts that don't know Jesus to come to know Jesus. Lives that are lost in the world to turn like Jesus has invited. Turn away from that. To be like Peter wrote. Don't, don't get involved in all that Sin in the world. That, that's our desire, to people, for people to be born again. Pray, pray God, send in. Send in those that need to be born again. Those that, that need to have their hearts changed. We're planning to make a little invitation to the, the community just around us. One mile around, you've been here, you know, we're praying about, um, for about a mile around the church. We've been doing that for almost a year. And we want to take some time this spring, to just make an invitation. Hey, come on in. We'll have a meal with you. Take five minutes, maybe 10, just to say, listen, we're here. And we have, we have the answer. Why don't you, why don't you give it a try? His name's Jesus. Number four, talk to others you meet. Tell them about your Christian life. Just share your, share your life. Be open. Be open when God opens that door of opportunity. You know what God's word tells us? 
It tells us one plants, another waters. So you might, you might run into someone someplace, somewhere. You say a few words to them. Maybe you spend a few minutes with them. Maybe an hour. And then it seems nothing comes of it. Someone else may come along to water. Just be open to share about your life. One plants and other waters. Let me tell you, that comes from the Word of God, 1 Corinthians 3, verse 7. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God. Catch this last phrase. Only God who makes things grow. Ultimately, church, this is God's. It is God's. If we commit to staying true to his word, if we commit to really, really saying, what would Jesus do? I believe God will be faithful to do his work. One plants and other waters. God makes things grow. It's his church. It's his church. It's in his hands. I don't know if all of you will take to heart one, two, three, four of the things that I've offered. I pray you do. Let's just stand and pray out. Let's stand and pray out. You commit in your own heart. And I thank you for listening. God, thank you for your word. And I pray, Lord, I pray. I pray for everyone in this room. I pray for everyone who's, who's listening online. It's not my intention to be offensive, hurtful. It's my intention, God, that we would be rock solid on Jesus and his word and stay true to that. And I follow some path to left or right or wherever. But we would stay focused on the head pastor, the chief shepherd, the head of the church, Jesus, and what he has to say for all of us. And God, help us. Lord, we seek you. We want to be in your word with the guidance of the Holy Spirit for every decision we make for your church, for our lives. Help us to do that, God. I pray that blessing on everyone here. I pray, I pray God, they would take to heart staying focused and true to you and you alone. And when voices of the world come, be they, be they other churches or secular people, Lord, that we would check with you and your word first and foremost. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And I pray you just bless everyone here. Bless them as they go. Give them opportunity. Opportunity when they cross someone's path. Just even say I'm a Christian. You don't have to be overt evangelists even. Just give them an opportunity to say something. We commit it to you, God. And we, we pray for the community around here too, God, that you would well up in them. Your spirit, you'd work on hearts. And if you draw anyone in here, no matter who they are, where they're from, that yes, we would embrace them. Yes, we would welcome them. And we would show them the truth about how they need to turn to you and turn from their sin and become followers of Jesus. Help us in it all, God. Help us in it all. Thank you for all these faithful people here. Thank you. 
Encourage them, pour into their lives, use them, Father God. And I ask it all, Father, in the powerful, the precious, the only name, the name above all names, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Amen. Amen. You know, too, at the close of every service, these altars are open. If you need prayer for anything, anything at all, you don't have to rush out. Our elders are here. They'll anoint you with oil. God bless you this morning.